Well, I hate to break uh, such a spirit of worship, but I really want the end of our service to land a certain way this morning as well. So I've just got to get these announcements out. So I hope you'll bear with me. Um, First of all, uh, next Saturday is the Resurrection Seminar. And I'm just really hoping that more folks will sign up for that. What a great opportunity you have on Easter weekend uh, to strengthen your faith and maybe even bring someone to faith or strengthen their faith by attending this seminar. And we need to know if you're coming because we provide lunch for everyone that comes. So please sign up today for the Resurrection Seminar next Saturday from 10 to 2. Uh, right over in the cafeteria where we have our Wednesday night Bible study. I don't think you'll regret being there for that seminar next Saturday. Of course, Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It's also our eighth anniversary, and we're going to be thrilled to not only celebrate, as we do every Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, but also celebrate for us our eighth anniversary, which we actually started on Easter Sunday eight years ago. So we want to celebrate that as well. And it's becoming sort of an annual thing, but the Martinez's have sort of started years ago having a a big picnic for everybody on Easter uh, afternoon uh, down at the park there in Queen Creek. And Lisa and I try to go every year, and they just have a, whoever wants to come can come. So again, Nellie just wanted me to make sure that all of you know if you have No other plans already for Easter afternoon into Easter evening. It's going to be a great time for us to get together with one another. I think Pastor Miguel is still going to be here and Carmen are coming up from Mexicali next weekend or to be with us next weekend. And it's just going to be a wonderful time. So if you'd like more information about that, I'm just going to ask you to see Nellie about that. Uh, She'll have all the details about that, but I wanted to let you know Uh, Lisa and I are planning on being there next Sunday afternoon as well. And then for those of you that have already heard, um, our brother Al Irwin passed away Friday afternoon and went home to be with Jesus. This is not just a loss for me pastorally, a member of our church. But just like with a couple other prominent people that we've lost here at the Oasis, Tom Stanton, Bill Bailey, and others, Al and I had a personal relationship. We met quite often and we talked quite often. So this isn't just a a pastoral loss. This is a personal loss for me. And so bear with me today. Um, Al and I even had this sort of running joke, if you will, between each other. As as new people would come into the church, some of them would either come up to me and say, is Al your father? Or or they would go up to Al and go, is is Jeff your son? Because there was sort of that, you know, resemblance, big guy, bald, that type of thing. Um, But obviously we weren't, you know, father, son, although I would have been honored to be his son. I had a great dad who went home to be with Jesus 27 years ago, and uh, Al's just a very sweet man, and uh, we're going to miss him. Uh, I know many of you might want to be part of either the viewing or the service, 
And we also are going to do a funeral uh, lunch or dinner for the family uh, as well. And I know many of you would like to maybe participate in that, make something, all help out in any way you can. The problem is we don't have any information as far as details. The family isn't, wasn't able to meet with the funeral home until tomorrow. So here's what we would like you to do, because we know that many of you are going to want this information. We have a sign-up sheet. For those of you that want to know any details either about the service itself or helping out with the dinner for the family, there's going to be a sign-up sheet out there on the prayer table. So where the prayer ministry has their thing, there will be a sign-up sheet today so that once we find out the details tomorrow, we can start getting the word out to you of where and when will the funeral be and how, if you want to help for the funeral dinner for the family, Here's what, what you can do. So I hope that made sense to you, but that's all that we can tell you at, at this point. Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. And this is incredible that on this particular Sunday that this is where we were going to land today because I think you will see as we go through here how... <laughs> God certainly had prepared a specific passage of Scripture for us to to look into at this time. In these verses, Romans 8.12 through Romans 8.27 this morning, we're going to be reminded through the Apostle Paul of how the Holy Spirit within us helps us to realize some very important things. That we have wonderful things in our life that the Holy Spirit wants us to recognize, acknowledge, and be aware of at all times. And the first thing that we are made aware of is that we are part of a wonderful family, a spiritual family. You will notice here in verse 15 that Paul says that those of us who have received Christ also received the spirit of adoption. By which we cry, Abba, Father. We have been adopted by God into His family. On down there in verse 16, you see that it says, We are God's children. See, not every human being is a child of God. Every human being is a creation of God, but not every human being is a child of God. You and I only become children of God through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. When we place our faith into Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we are adopted into God's family. We become part of His body, His church, and we now have a wonderful spiritual family. In fact, you'll notice in verse 12, he addresses them as brothers and sisters. Those born of the same womb. Those divinely loved ones. And God wants all of us here to be reminded at the Oasis that we are to be a family. That we are to look at each other as family. That that's how God always intended the church to be. That's why God wants us to come together and be together. Because He looks at us that way. We are children who are coming together and and then we can be there for each other and be part of a family where 
we don't have to go through things like death and other things alone, but we have each other that we can have them rally around us at times like this. That's what God wants us to realize. And, and many, even in Jesus' day, and in Bible times, just like in many other places today, and even here in America at times, when a person placed their faith in Jesus Christ, sometimes their family turned their back on them. Sometimes their family ostracized them and literally pushed them out of their lives. In fact, even if you have your, your Bibles and want to go there, go with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Beginning at verse 28. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 28. Peter even spoke up at this point and said to the Lord, Lord, look, we've left everything to follow you. And notice what Jesus says to Peter. He says, I tell you the truth. There is no one who has left homes or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel... So sometimes they leave us. Sometimes God says, my call on your life, in a sense, demands that you leave them behind. But notice what he says in verse 30. Who will not receive in this age. So he's not talking now about eternity yet or when we get to heaven. He's talking about our earthly life. Jesus says, who will not receive in this age a hundred times as much. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, all with possessions, and in the age to come then, eternal life. For many who are first will be last and the last first. Where are all these homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers come from? From the body of Christ, from the church? You see, some people, when they enter into the body of Christ, maybe they don't have a father or mother. Maybe they don't have a brother or sister. Or maybe they've left them. Or maybe their brothers or sisters or their moms or dads or their aunt. Maybe they left them. Again, they turned their back on them. Jesus is saying, you always have a family. You always belong somewhere when you're connected to me. You never have to be alone. You never have to feel alone because you will always be connected to me through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to gather your brothers and sisters, your spiritual family around you. And you are always part of a wonderful spiritual family. And the Holy Spirit who lives within us, again, brings that reality to, to sort of our, our uh, forefront of our minds and our hearts every day. That's one of his ministries. Because he's called here by Paul in Romans 8, the spirit of adoption. He is reminding us that we are always part of something bigger than ourselves. Something very precious that we should never take for granted. And that is that as we look at each other, as we fellowship with each other, as we worship with each other, as you and I look around even today in this auditorium, we're not just looking at other human beings. We are looking at people that we are going to spend eternity with. We are looking at people who have a bond that we have between us through the Holy Spirit of God that is greater than any blood bond could ever be. Because you and I all know that we have family members who may never come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we have a bond then with fellow Christians that is stronger than any blood bond could ever be. Because what binds us is truly the greatest thing in the world. Now certainly we want all of our family and friends to come to Christ. 
But the realization is we don't know if that's always going to happen. But Paul says, we do know that we're always part of a wonderful family. That we have each other. That's why Paul said, we've got to learn to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. To bear one another's burdens. To love one another. Is this not what Christ said was the greatest mark of being His disciple? When Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples. Because of the love you have for one another. The Bible always sets apart the fact that, that the first people we should look out for and take care of is our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, Paul said to the Galatians, As you have opportunity, do good unto all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. You see, our first priority as far as looking out for and caring for other people should be our brothers and sisters in Christ first. Not the world first, but our brothers and sisters in Christ first. We should care for each other first. Because God says that's the kind of, of love and environment and family atmosphere that should be created in every community of believers, in every church. Because that is the dynamic that will then draw others to that kind of place. Where they're looking to belong to something and someone. Where they're looking to fit in somewhere. Where they're looking for family and relationships and friendships in their life. And so the Spirit of God first of all, helps us to realize that we are part of a wonderful family. But then if you go back to Romans 8, 15, notice again, he also says, the Holy Spirit's ministry also helps us to realize and recognize that we also have a wonderful Father by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It means Papa. means Daddy. You see, you and I may not have had a very loving, affectionate, attentive, earthly father. But God said, every one of my children has a loving, affectionate, and attentive heavenly father. Someone that you can always cry out to. And by the way, there's emotion there. Because the Holy Spirit wants us to, to understand the emotion that the Father has towards us. Many times, you know, as Christians even, we like, I know Jesus loves me. We even sing about it as young children. But we forget that the same God is the God who is the God, the Father, and God, the Holy Spirit. And they love us just as much as Jesus. In fact, through the Bible, sometimes the Father is separated out so that we understand it's not just Jesus that loves us. Oh, the Father loves us too. In fact, John says in 1 John 3, 1, Beloved, what sort, what kind, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible is referring to God the Father. When in John 3, 16, John writes, For God, God the Father, so loved us that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, so that we might have eternal life and never perish. See, God the Father loves us too. In fact, God the Father loves us so much that the one that He loved, you know, as much as any father could, his own son, Jesus, was willing to give him up 
into the hands of sinners and watch what sinners did to his son by scourging him and beating him and treating him so horribly and nailing him to a cross. God the Father was willing to go through that kind of a sacrifice and see one that he loved so much go through that because of his love for us. Let me ask you, as a parent, would you sacrifice your child for those that could care less about you or them? (laughs) Would you sacrifice someone dear to you? A friend, a spouse, a family member? That's what God the Father did. That's how much He loves us. And the Spirit brings that alive to us. The Spirit wants us to know, again, maybe we never had an earthly father like this. But we have a loving Heavenly Father, again, who loves us so much we can't even imagine how much He loves us. He's affectionate towards us. He's attentive towards us. And we can crawl up into the lap of our Heavenly Father anytime and we can say, Daddy, I need you. Papa, I need to talk. I need your arms wrapped around me, God. I need to feel you close to me. And God the Father will be right there. We sang about it. What a good, good Father. You see, the Holy Spirit, sometimes we can get so analytical in our approach to Christianity and our faith that we forget there's emotion there. Because when you talk about love and affection and things like that, that's emotion. And that's why the Holy Spirit is saying, you got to understand, when you become a full-fledged member of God's family and now you are a child of God, you can cry out at any time, Daddy! And you know he'll be there. You'll know he'll be there. He's a wonderful father. In fact, I don't want to take too much time on this, but this whole idea of adoption is such a biblical concept. And some of you, you probably understand that better than someone like me because maybe you have been adopted. Adoption was such a powerful thing in Roman society. You and I, even today, we we think, oh, you know, those who were adopted, you know, especially coming out of maybe not the best circumstances, they've got it good. Listen, they had it even better in the Roman Empire. First of all, to be adopted was not something that any Roman citizen ever took lightly. And it was permanent. Once you were adopted, you were part of that family permanently. Not only that. But if the father chose to adopt you, and that's the cool thing too, is that the children never chose their family to be adopted into, but it's the father who chose them to adopt them. And what a beautiful picture of our father, our heavenly father. We love because he first loved us. God the father is the one that took the initiative on us, not us the other way around. He chose to adopt us. He chose to bring us near. He chose to make us one of his children. And that was true in Roman society. And any child that was adopted, male or female, into a Roman family, had full-fledged rights and privileges as any other member of the family would. In other words, they were looked at as absolutely equal. There was no, well, you're, you're one of the adopted ones. No. If, if, if you did that in Roman society, you would have been looked down on. Because the Romans took adoption very seriously. And they said, if we're going to adopt somebody, 
then they're not no second-class part of the family. They are equal with every other person, including our natural-born children, if we have any. And that's the kind of concept that Paul wanted these Romans to get into their head. That God has adopted us. That we are permanently part of His family. And we are part of a wonderful family. Not only, you know, with God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, but we are also part of a wonderful spiritual family because we have a bond with each other through our faith in Jesus Christ that is stronger than anything else you and I could ever have with another human being. And then He also says, and don't ever forget... You have a wonderful father as well. Then he goes on in Romans 8 to remind us we also have a wonderful function within the family. Notice what he says in verse 17. If we are children of God, then heirs. Also, namely, heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. The word heir here speaks about one who has a part to play. One who has a role or responsibility within the family. You see, when a child was adopted into a a Roman society and a Roman family, they not only were given full-fledged rights and privileges, but obviously, too, the balance was they now have some responsibility. Each child had a role, a responsibility, a part to play in the family. And, And God is saying that the Holy Spirit, when He comes to live within us, He will start to help us to become aware and acknowledge and realize what is our part. Because every true child of God has a part to play in the family of God. Every one of us. Now, that can change as seasons and things go on, but there's never a time, never a time where any Christian does not have some function in the body, some role to play, some responsibility to take care of, some part to play. God never has us to where there's no purpose for us being here. Never. Now again, that can change throughout the seasons of our life, but there's always something God is saying now that you're part of the adopted family, you got a function. You got a part to play. You got a role. And that's so important because, again, so many today, even within their own earthly families, they don't have a clue what their role is in that family. They don't, they don't know what part they play. And then they grow up and, and become adults that, that have their own families and, and then even are part of other families. And, and that's why even the church suffers today because we've got so many even Christians in the church and they have a hard time ever finding out, what's my role? What's my part? What's my function? I, I never was clear on that from day one of my entire life, much less now I'm a Christian. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit, if you allow Him to, He will help you to understand right now what is that part that God wants me to play in his family with my brothers and sisters in Christ. To show you this concept is not just one found here in Romans. Turn over with me to the book of Ephesians real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to just begin reading in verse 11 of chapter 4. I want to get to the part in verse 16, but I want to start in verse 11. It was he, Jesus, who gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ, our wonderful spiritual family, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So we are no longer to be children, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching by his trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ, who is the head. From him, the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. And here it is. As each one does its part, the body grows in love. That's part of the reason why even in our local churches today and in our community of believers, we're not growing the way we should, spiritually, in love with God, in love with each other. Why? Because everyone's not doing their part. Because either people aren't being connected to the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit and they have no clue what their heir part is. I'm an heir. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And what Paul is also alluding to back in Romans 8 is not only do we have a part to play in in God's kingdom now here on earth, but as a joint heir one day with Jesus Christ, we will also have a part, a function, a role, a responsibility in his kingdom to come, in the eternal kingdom of God. We never are at a place where we're not going to have some kind of role some kind of function, some kind of purpose. Even in eternity, God says, you will have a purpose. And of course, there we will clearly know what that is. Now, the way we get to know what that is, is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is why it's so important that we learn to connect to him and hear his voice and follow his leading. Back to Romans chapter 8. We also have a wonderful future awaiting us. Paul goes on to say in verse 17, If indeed we suffer with him, so we will also be glorified with him. We will be elevated to the most glorious condition we could ever imagine. Which is why Paul goes on to say in verse 18, For I consider, which by the way for you accountants, you mathematicians, this word is, a, is an accounting word. It's a mathematical word. It's the Greek word logizomai. It means I come to a conclusion of something very solidly after I take time to add everything up. And that's part of our problem as Christians. We don't take the time to consider. Paul says, you know, we've got a reason. God gave us a brain. We've got to add things up. We've got to put them on a scale and go, okay, I've got this, this, and this over here. And I got this, this, and over here. And this weighs more. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. He says, as you carefully consider, as you come to a solid conclusion after adding everything up, Paul says, every Christian should come to the same conclusion I did. That our present sufferings aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be conferred upon us one day. The divine honor that God is going to confer upon all of his children. Now, Paul is not, nor is God, minimizing our earthly sufferings. He never does that. Paul's not saying, oh, what you're going through is nothing. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying this. Put it on a balance scale. Even if you and I are born and we literally suffer every day of our lives and we live to be 100 years old, that's a lot of suffering. 100 years of suffering. Paul says, okay, put 100 years of suffering on this side of the balance scale. Paul says, do you realize the divine honor and the exalted glorious condition that's going to be conferred upon us forever? Forever? Billions of years from now? 
we're still going to be enjoying that divine honor and that elevated, glorious condition. So Paul says, you tell me, a hundred years of suffering on earth compared to eternal glory? There is no comparison. That's the wonderful future we have as children of God. See, we have something to look forward to always. The best is always yet to come. And our brother Al's already experienced that. Because the Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And he's already had his faith become sight. And he's already beginning to glimpse into that glorious, wonderful future that God has for all of his children. See, the Holy Spirit wants to make that real to us. He wants us to wake up every day not not getting stuck in the immediate circumstances of life, but realizing that if God does allow these, again, as we've already talked about, there's greater purposes behind it. And we're always moving toward this wonderful future that awaits us. Paul even said to the Corinthians that our momentary suffering is not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us as Christians. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Over and over again, the Bible talks to us about this and the Holy Spirit makes it real to us. Well, not only do we have a wonderful future, we also have a wonderful freedom. Not only now being set free from the power of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, but here specifically he's talking about the freedom that's going to come to us one day, the redemption of our bodies. Notice what Paul begins to talk to them about in verse 19 of Romans 8. He says, creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, the consummation of our adoption. For even creation is subjected to futility, to to transitory, temporary, uh, fragileness, finiteness. He goes on to say, creation itself will one day, verse 21, be set free from the bondage of decay. That's really a good, also synonym for futility here. Everything about what we see is decaying, including our own outer bodies. That's part of living on earth. Everything around us is always in a state of decay or decline. But notice what he goes on to say. One day we get to look forward to this glorious future freedom of God's children. And we know, he says, that the whole creation is groaning and suffering together until now. Not only this, but we also. But we have the first fruits of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is reminding us there's a greater harvest. There's greater blessings even to come. That even though we have all these wonderful things now, there's even greater things to come in the future. Just like the first fruits of the harvest was just a sign that there was a greater harvest to come. When you and I get the Holy Spirit, He reminds us, yeah, this is good. Wonderful family, wonderful father, wonderful function, wonderful future. But oh my goodness, there's more to come. And then He goes on to say this. That the Spirit of God groans inwardly. As we eagerly await our adoption, literally the consummation of our adoption, and here it is, the redemption of our bodies. Deliverance from frailty and mortality once and for all. That's the freedom that he's talking about here. And that's why it's tied to our future. Freedom from mortality and frailty. Think about it. What's the Bible say? Just like Al's already experiencing 
Guess what we get to look forward to? A freedom from pain. A freedom from suffering. A freedom from disease. A freedom from death. No more death. No more pain. No more suffering. Think about it. Consider it with me. And some of this is going to be really real to some of you because you've lived it or others around you are living it. No more heart disease. No more cancer. No more Alzheimer's. No more Parkinson's. No more diabetes. No more arthritis. No more anything like that. It's gone. Finally, the body that God's going to give us is going to be free. Free from the pain. Free from everything that holds us down and holds us back. This flesh will be gone and gone for good. So often you and I, even as Christians, we struggle in this flesh. Because there's things we want to do and, you know, and even we get tired, we get worn out, we get frustrated. One day, freedom. Freedom. Eat whatever you want, it doesn't matter. Freedom. This is the redemption of our bodies. We, again, we can't even imagine... What are glorified bodies, bodies that God fashions for us that's going to be fit for eternity is going to be like. And Paul said the Holy Spirit helps us to realize that every day, the freedom that's coming. And then one final thing, our Holy Spirit is our wonderful friend, our wonderful friend. It says in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our human limitations. He literally takes the initiative and takes the interest in us. That's what the word helps means. For we don't even know sometimes how we should pray or what we should pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Did you see that? It doesn't even say that the Spirit of God actually articulates or expresses something in words. It says that the Holy Spirit actually groans Himself as He communicates with the Father and with the Son about what we're feeling. And before we get to that, let me go back to a couple other things, though, that show that the Holy Spirit is our friend because He's a model friend, the kind of friend that we should be to one another. First of all, a real friend accompanies other people. Notice what it says in verse uh, 14. All who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. The word led means to, besides many other things, to be accompanied by, to be our companion. Isn't that what a friend is? Isn't that why the Bible says even that a friend who's close is better than a brother who's far away and a friend sticks closer than a brother? Why? Because they're there. They're, they're with us. We can talk to them. We, we can be face to face. We can, again, minister to, the, to them. There's something about friendship knowing that this person's with me. 
and they're going to be with me no matter what. They're going to be with me in the good. They're going to be with me in the bad. They're going to be with me in the ugly. But the bottom line is a friend is someone who accompanies us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Every day he says, I'm here. Let me lead. I'm here. Let's not do this alone. Let's do this together. Something else the Holy Spirit does. He assures us. Notice in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. The words bear witness means to affirm or assure, to bring comfort. That's what a friend does. A friend is always there to assure us and to affirm us of who we are and what we have. That's what friends do. And that's what the Holy Spirit does every day. He is saying, you're a child of God. You're a king, a a prince and princess of the king. You are loved. You have a wonderful family. You have a wonderful father. You have a wonderful function. You have a wonderful future. You have a wonderful freedom. Live that way. Let me assure you. Let me comfort you. Again, that's why the Holy Spirit is even called the comforter. So, as our wonderful friend, the Holy Spirit not only accompanies us and assures us, He agonizes with us, which is what we just read about in verses 26 and 27. He agonizes with us. Did you hear what the Bible said? The Bible says that at times as Christians, we have went through something so painful, so hurtful, so deep, that you and I either can't or don't know how to even express what's in here. And that our friend, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, empathizes and sympathizes and agonizes with us to a level that he is willing to groan out those deep feelings of emotion to the Father and to the Son, to communicate in some way the pain, the hurt, the agony that we are feeling on the inside. What a friend. Because again, that's what real friends do. They're willing to get down there in the, in the muck and to be there when we're really hurting and to agonize with us and to sympathize with us and to empathize with us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does every time we need Him. Even if we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit is saying, I'll, I'll take care of it. It may be something that you can't even get out, but the Holy Spirit will help communicate the feelings and the emotions and everything that you have inside of you. And He will bring that to the other members of the Godhead and they will begin to minister to us in a way that they and their their all uh, wisdom know what's the best way to handle this person right now. What, What can we do for them? That's the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful friend. Today, how important is it that you and I be reminded, again, through the Holy Spirit, we are part of a wonderful family. I just want you to know, as your pastor, if you come to the Oasis, you're never going to be looked at as just somebody. (laughs) You're now part of the family. And I consider you such. We were just talking about that today with our staff and our our elders. 
We don't, we don't operate that way here as leaders. It's not a business. This, this church doesn't operate as a business. We're all just friends and family with each other as we serve the Lord here. And that's the way we want you to feel here. And God has created that atmosphere, but I think it can be even better and greater than it even is now. We have a wonderful Father. We have a wonderful function, a wonderful future, a wonderful freedom, and a wonderful friend. Could we stand and pray? God, I pray today that as we get ready to partake of the Lord's table, that Lord, as we step out of our seat and we go back and get these elements and come back to our seat, that we would be reminded of how good we have it as your child. All that you have done for us, what you did for us on the cross to provide all of this for us, God is beyond our comprehension and imagination. But God, in some small way, may we show you the respect and regard that you deserve today by, as your child, going back there, grabbing those elements, coming together with my other brothers and sisters in Christ, and partaking of it together. God, help us to realize and acknowledge and become aware of all that we are and all that we have in you. May we allow your spirit to work right now, right here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.